I'm good? All right, we're going to get this rolling. All right, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. I uh, am obviously not here. I'm on video this week, as you may have heard. Uh, Marcy and I are on an anniversary trip. This year is our 30th anniversary, uh, much like it is Harvest's 30th anniversary this year. Marcy and I got married in 1993. And so we're away on an extended trip. And uh, what a blessing to get to do. I know you value uh, marriage and the idea of marriage, and uh, we're feeding ours. And so we're spending uh, some of this time away on vacation, and uh, some of this time away we'll be doing remote work uh, from uh, where we're going. Uh, But all of that uh, to say that we miss you guys. I mentioned a few uh, weeks ago, months ago, um, that I've been struggling for some time with some headaches. My doctors have also, um, in a lot of senses, recommended some things that would de-stress and try to be beneficial to determining uh, sources of my headache. And so we're going to spend some time uh, sort of unplugging and working that direction. I will be uh, teaching uh, via video as well next Sunday on Mother's Day, and I, I can't wait to see you on Mother's Day. I hope you'll invite uh, your family or someone you know to join you. Uh, Mother's Day is going to be a great day. I do want to just mention, um, you know, we all know, right? Harvest Community Church is not about me. We center around Jesus Christ. It's not about you either, and, you know, sometimes that's tough to hear. I know we all, uh, you know, we, we, we like it best when Brian's here preaching live. I 100% Uh, get that. But during this season, I really want to encourage you to lean in. The church is the body of Christ, that we are stronger together than we are alone. And the church is certainly not about me. And so I want to encourage you every week of this time where I'm out, would you be here and uh, be what I cannot for folks, uh, for new folks, for guests, uh, for people who are here all the time. Show love, uh, welcome, Uh, make sure that this is an environment where grace is not only taught, but grace is lived. And of course, we live it out from community. And so I am so proud of you. I thank you for being here. Uh, I'll jump in shortly into the message, but will you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you today that you are so good. We thank you that your word is so good. And we thank you that we have the privilege today of studying your word. Thank you that when we have big questions, that you have even bigger answers. And so, Jesus, uh, guide us as we study your word today. May your grace shine through in all of our lives. Uh, Between what I say and we hear Jesus, I pray that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been in a series called Asking for a Friend, right? Difficult questions, sometimes embarrassing questions, painful questions even, sometimes that never get asked in church. So here's the question this week. We've done a lot of great questions already. We had a really tough question last Sunday. Um, Today we're asking this. You know, someone might say, look, I have a lot of regrets. And they would ask God, they would ask Jesus, what am I supposed to do with all of those regrets? I've got a lot of them. I mean, at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is you have them and I have them. And if you ask any therapist, they would tell you that uh, most of us as adults tend to collect regrets like kids collect rocks. That we're we're like, hey, can I show you my regret collection? You know, that there's just this sense in our lives that all of us have things that, that we don't feel great about. 
And really, when we think about the source of our regrets, sometimes it's things we did that we wish we didn't. And so we feel like a failure in that sense. And sometimes the source of our regrets is the opposite. Sometimes it's what we didn't do that we wished we did. And so at the end of the day, I know you've got regrets. I know I've got regrets. So what do we do with those? And I want to start right up front with our one thing this week. That regret serves as a continual reminder of our past failures. But Jesus serves as a continual reminder of our future hope. And I want you to really hang your soul on that today as we think about grace and as we process and unpack our regrets and what to do with them. Again, the one thing, regret serves as a continual reminder of our past failures. Jesus serves as a continual reminder of our future hope. If there's anybody in the Bible that really understood regret, it's got to be the guy that we often call Peter or Simon Peter or you know, Simon, right? He, 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 had a, he had the name Simon. Jesus gave him the name Peter, uh, uh, like Petra, like on this rock, I will build my church. And Peter was really, really good at sort of being bold and, and, and overly bodacious and sometimes too self-confident. And sometimes that worked to his advantage and sometimes it just did not. And there was a time not long before the crucifixion when Jesus was telling the disciples that they would be scattered, that they would run. In fact, it's in Mark chapter 14. Jesus said, you will all fall away for it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And he had warned them of all this. And Peter declared, even if I, even if all fall away, if everybody else falls away, I will not. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Peter, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And everybody else said, yeah, same, same, same. Yeah, if we have to die with you, we will, we will not disown you. Luke 22 picks up that same story. This was how Peter replied there, right? He said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and death. Jesus, of course, said, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. Later, Luke 22, verse 54, then seizing Jesus... Uh, they, the, those who arrested Jesus, led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. So we're moments before the trials that then lead to the crucifixion of Jesus. All of this is in the same night slash overnight slash next day. Seizing him, they led him away. They took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of a courtyard and sat down together and, and this fire is uh, said uh, here in other places to be a, a it's a particular kind of fire a, a charcoal fire um, sort of a distinct smell if you will when they sat down together peter sat down with them the group that was following and a servant girl seated there uh, saw him seated there in the firelight and she looked closely at him and said this man was with him but but peter denied it woman i don't know him 
And a little later, someone else saw and said, you are also one of them. And Peter replied, man, I am not. And about an hour later, and so think about how Peter's feeling at this point. Jesus told him this would happen. Peter said, I will never, ever do this. Now he's done it twice. Jesus said it would happen three times. About an hour later, another man asserted or someone asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So somehow they're bringing Jesus by in this moment. And Jesus looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows, today you'll disown me three times. And Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. I don't know about you, but I I read this story and I I identify with Peter. Like there's things in my life that that I've regretted, things probably in your life that you've regretted. And Peter bragged that he would never deny Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. Peter's now watching his own humiliation in slow motion. He's weeping. I bragged. I denied. <laughs> Hours later, Jesus is crucified. Peter's nowhere to be found. I mean, by the time Jesus is crucified, buried, and resurrected, Peter feels like a complete failure. And I think as a leader, he probably felt like a disappointment to Jesus. And you just think about it. These guys have been devastated. Not just Peter, but all of them. And in between this story that I've just read for us and the next story I'm about to read to us, Jesus is crucified for our sins. And only John followed him to the cross along with a lot of the ladies. And Jesus dies and Jesus is buried. And on the third day, Jesus is resurrected. And he makes an appearance to the disciples. And Peter goes and sees the tomb and... Somewhere along the way, he's beginning to work on this aha that Jesus is alive and that that Jesus is real and Jesus is resurrected. But I think Peter is still overwhelmed with himself, with his disappointments, with his failures, and with his regrets. And so I pick up the next part of the story in John chapter 21. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, or Sea of Galilee, basically, same thing. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter told them, I'm going out to fish. And they all said, we'll go with you. And so they went out, and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And this actually is very reminiscing of the day Jesus called them into ministry. It's, it's back in Luke 5 and other places. They had fished and they had not caught a thing. And Jesus told them where to put in nets into the water. All of a sudden, uh, when he called them into ministry, they, they put such a, a large, they put the net in. They, they had such a large haul of fish. You might remember that story. Uh, that, you know, it's like they, they just like biggest thing ever happened in their lives. And they came on shore and, and Jesus said, you know, I, like, I'll make you into fishers of men. That was the call. I think that was long gone in Peter's mind because he had failed. He was a disappointment. Verse 4, John 21 says, 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood out on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. So they're a ways out. They didn't know it was Jesus. He calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? They answered, no. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And so the disciple whom Jesus loved, that that was John who wrote this, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. So, that you know, when they fish, they, they, they were not wearing much. We'll just say it that way. He jumped into the water. I wonder if Peter thought he would walk on water there. And the other disciples followed in the boat. I, I don't think he did. He sank. But, but the other disciples followed in the boat and throwing, uh, towing along the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And like, here's Jesus. He's already got some fish. They're already cooked. They've got to be thinking, where do you get fish? We couldn't get fish all night. And Jesus said, hey, bring some of the fish you've caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. And it was full of large fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. This should sort of sound familiar. He did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus already has the fire going. It smells great. He's got fish on. He's got bread. He's got warm bread. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. They're hungry. He's got something for them. He's going to feed them. By the way, this is often when we're exhausted and drained. and Jesus often is attentive to our physical needs. Rest, food, water. And sometimes what we need is just that. This is also a reminder that Jesus is prepared to handle what, whatever we walk up with. That Jesus has everything We need to process our regrets and our pains. And let's be honest, sometimes processing our regrets and our pains is something we don't want to do. And frankly, it's something that we avoid. But Jesus is here in the context of nature, right? He's along a beautiful lake. He's got a fire going. And I think it's a good reminder sometimes we do our best processing when we're in God's creation. I do. In fact, sometimes it happens best in a small setting, fire going, just a conversation between you and another person or between you and the Lord, an honest conversation. I I should tell you here that this fire smelled just like the fire where Peter denied Jesus. There were a variety of types of fire that they would do back in the day. This also, same word, charcoal fire. So when Peter denied Jesus, that smell would have been burned into his memory, that trauma. And here, same smell. Bring back those feelings just like that. And when they'd finished eating, verse 15 says, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. It's worth noting here what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, get away from me. 
He didn't say, I don't love you anymore. He didn't say, I can't believe what a disappointment or a failure you are. He just called him right back to doing what he had always called Peter to do. He says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Three times, just like the three times that he denied knowing Jesus. This was a clear, intentional thing on Jesus' part to three times have him revisit with a lot of honesty how he really felt about Jesus. Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, when you have an honest conversation with Jesus, it often goes just like this. More graceful than we'd expect. More hopeful than we expect. More purposeful than we'd expect. We imagine the worst case scenario in those conversations. It's like when I was a kid, I remember like when I was busted and I was in trouble and it's like, wait till dad comes home or some, some moment like that where I had to wait and that anticipation was so difficult and so painful. How does Jesus respond when I've failed? And how should I respond when I've got regret? That's what I really want to go after in the time we have left today. I want to work back through the story. How does Jesus respond when I have regrets, when I've failed, when I feel like I have disappointed God? Number one, when we're overwhelmed with our failures and regrets, just take note, we hide and Jesus seeks. Right? Peter was on the run. He had gone back to his old way of life. He was back to fishing. He'd taken a lot of the disciples with him. A lot of them were fishermen. Jesus called them to be fishers of men. They thought that's the journey they were on. He was arrested. They denied him, or at least Peter did. Jesus was crucified. All their hopes died with him. Yes, they had seen the resurrected Jesus, but they, they'd gone right back to their old life. They were playing hide and seek with Jesus. And Jesus comes seeking after all of them, but Peter specifically. It reminds me a lot of Adam and Eve hiding in the garden in Genesis 3 and God looking for them and God coming back after them. And the reality is, when we're overwhelmed with our failures, we hide, but Jesus seeks. Number two, how does Jesus respond? Jesus will never give up on me. Never, ever, ever. He died for my sins. Why would he give up on me if he was willing to lay down his life for me? Even though I give up on God, you know, uh, with doubt and with other struggles, with some regularity, Jesus' grip on my life is stronger than my grip on him. And the regrets in our lives serve as a reminder of all we've done wrong. But Jesus wants us to focus on his reminders that the when I first called you, that when I said this is my body that is broken for you, that the fact that he was broken on that cross so that you and I wouldn't stay broken, that the entire reason he died is our redemption. He wants us to remember all of the miracles in our lives. He wants us to remember all of the times we've walked together. And so Jesus seeks after Peter. He won't let Peter give up on him. 
He's basically saying, Peter, a moment of failure does not define our walk together. A moment of failure, Peter, does not define my relationship with you. And that would be true for all of us as well. Jesus won't give up on me. Number three, Jesus won't let me give up on him. Peter's hiding. Jesus is seeking. Salvation is ultimately about the grip of God on my life. And perseverance works just this way. But we, you and I, we always think like, I'm not good enough or I don't know enough. And Jesus is saying, that's not the issue. The issue is my work in your life. Will you just, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. The issue is not whether I feel up to the task. It's whether Jesus is. And the answer is yes, Jesus wants to continue to work in my life, whether I've got regrets or not. And let's be honest, we all have them. Every single one of us has plenty of regrets. But Jesus loves us too much to let those dominate, take over. And define our lives and define our future. Jesus says that cross defines your life. And my resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, defines your hope. And while regret serves as a reminder of all of my past failures, Jesus serves as a continual reminder of our future hope. How does Jesus respond? We hide, Jesus seeks. Jesus won't give up on me and Jesus won't let me give up on him. He perseveres even when I'm out of strength. So how do I really respond then, knowing that this is who Jesus is and this is how Jesus works? How should I respond when I'm overwhelmed with regret? And I would give you Four lessons here. Number one, run to Jesus, not away from Jesus. Again, our tendency is to hide. Our tendency is to run away. Our tendency is to go back to our former way of life. Our tendency is to drop out of church. Our tendency is to push away from the Bible, to walk away somewhat from prayer life, that that we just kind of hide from God. And, and, And what's hilarious about this is we can't hide from God. There's nowhere you can go that God is not. And so at the end of the day, you and I, we both need, we need Jesus, not to hide from Jesus. And so we need to run to him. Peter hears, it's the Lord, and he literally jumps out of the boat in the direction of Jesus. Wrapped his outer garment around himself, jumps in the direction of Jesus into the water. I sort of half wonder again. If he thought maybe he'd walk on it, who knows? I I think Peter was uh, unclothed enough that he wasn't going to talk to Jesus in that light. He wraps his outer garment around himself. And this is how they fish back in the day. Don't, Don't misunderstand any of this. But because Jesus won't give up on me and Jesus won't let me give up on him, Peter runs to Jesus. You and I need to do the same. Number two, I need to explore the hard questions with vulnerability and honesty. Explore the hard questions with vulnerability. Explore the hard questions with honesty. I mean, face it, if you're still haunted by regret, 
There's some things you've buried in your life, you've suppressed, you've pushed down below the surface. And anytime that begins to bubble back up, you know what our human nature is. We just, we just push it right back down. We avoid it. We, we just seek to escape. And so we, we numb it. We, we push it right back down. But there are some hard questions and some hard conversations. And sometimes I need just this conversation with Jesus in prayer. And sometimes I need someone with skin on to have this kind of conversation with. It might be a therapist. It might be a leader in our church. It, it, might, be, it might be just a friend or a family member. We've got to get to the root. How did I get here? And what's the truth? Where do I go on from here? What does Jesus really think about me? And while we're on this, I think it's worth noting here that it's good to practice good biblical conflict resolution skills along the way. Right? That this is a reminder that, that we go to the person uh, we have conflict with not a whole lot of other people. And so Jesus didn't spend his time like talking with the other disciples and going, hey, you know, you know that Peter fella, I can't believe how disappointed we all are in him, right? That, it, it, that Jesus is practicing what he had taught elsewhere, right? When you and I are in conflict, it's good to go straight to a person. It's good to seek forgiveness. It's good to take responsibility. It's good to not play games. It's good to have honest conversations, Three times, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? What was the these? It might be more than the fish. It might be more than the nets and the fishing, the boats. It might have been the other disciples. Do you truly love me more than these other disciples? Some level, it might have been the regrets. <laughs> do you truly love me more than all these regrets that you've got? And at some point, I need an honest conversation with myself about my love for Jesus. Honesty with myself where I get uncomfortable. It's worth asking, are there some things in my life I love more than Jesus? And maybe it's rooted in competition that I think I'm better than these people because I think I love Jesus more than they do. Or maybe I think they love Jesus more than I do. Sometimes it's people. Do, do I struggle with loving Jesus because of people I love more than Him? Sometimes it's my career or my hobbies. Or at the end of the day, often it's just myself. Sometimes I just love myself more than I love Jesus. And oddly... Sometimes it's my regrets. I mean, in some weird, broken kind of way, we often, like I said earlier, we, we, we collect regrets like kids collect rocks. And sometimes we sort of get to where we like to, for weirdly, we like to nourish those things that, that we have certain favorites, if you will, when it comes to our regrets, and we're just not willing to let go of them. And it's these hard conversations when I get really vulnerable and really honest that helped me work towards, yes, I am loved by Jesus. And yes, Jesus loves me. And yes, I love him. And yes, I can work on letting go of these regrets. 
Which takes me to number three. And that's to let it go because Jesus did. There is no sense in this story that Jesus is holding on to the disappointments or to the regrets that Peter had, to the failures. There is no sense in the story that Jesus is saying, or that Jesus is saying, you know, dude, like, I, I just can't believe what you did. I, I can just never, ever, ever forget this. And that's what we're afraid of. Because that's what we do often when we're human. And we are. And Jesus refuses to hang on to it. After all, it's these types of sins that Jesus died for. And so Jesus is letting it go. Three times do you love me more than these. Three times you know that I love you. Three times feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Jesus didn't say, Simon, I'm done with you. Jesus didn't say, Simon, I'm out. Jesus didn't say, you can't do this anymore. He just put Peter right back on Jesus' purpose for his life. Right back to the relationship. Right back to walking together. Right back to being a leader among this group of apostles whom would receive the Holy Spirit and launch the church. You know, sometimes when I won't let go my regrets, Jesus already has. What I'm doing is I'm saying, when I won't let go, that the death of Jesus is not enough. I'm saying that some other price has to be paid. And along the way, you and I have to decide that there is no price I could pay that would somehow be enough. I think we've just convinced ourselves that if I whip myself some more and beat myself up some more, and that if I stay in pain, that somewhere along the way, that those me paying the price for my sins will outweigh it enough. And we must believe that the grace of Jesus is enough. At the end of the day, what I pay for my sins is irrelevant because I can't pay for my sins. That's what makes grace so remarkable. There is no good enough to outweigh the bad enough in my life. The blood of Jesus is enough. Why in the world would I think that I have to add something to that. You might have heard the story. This happened a few weeks ago. Some guy went down I-5 south of Eugene, throwing $100 bills out the window. I want to say it was something like $200,000 that was thrown out the car window. People are pulling over. They're grabbing cash right and left. That's crazy. I mean, I'm surprised somebody wasn't killed, quite honestly. You and I sort of do that with our regrets all the time. Every day, we're just sort of, you know, we have our regrets we hold on to, and, and we say, oh, well, I'm letting go. I'm, I'm throwing them out the window, but we don't really give them to Jesus. We're just, we're just, we're just either giving them to others or giving them back to ourselves or whatever. We just roll down the window. We're, we're throwing regrets right and left, here and there. There's mess everywhere. But somehow, at the end of the night, at the end of the day, we pick them back up, and tomorrow we feel like we have to do the same thing. And the reality is, 
my trying to pay for my sins and adding something to what Jesus has already done on the cross, it doesn't make a hill of beans difference. Except that it ruins my future. That it convinces me that Jesus could never do anything with my life. It anchors me back in that past failure. And Jesus serves as a continual reminder of my future hope. And so if Jesus let it go, why in the world am I refusing to forgive myself? I was watching a long time ago some episode of of MASH. You you know that 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 TV show from what feels like ages ago. And there was this story with Hawkeye and they were talking about the war, fighting a war they'd rather not fight. And Hawkeye said something along the lines of, nobody forgets what happens here. But the secret is learning to live with it. And I think what Jesus is doing with Peter is by doing this three times, he is time by time, denial, do you love me? Denial, do you love me? Denial, do you love me? He is giving Peter something to live with. Something that replaces those denials. That he is giving Peter a bigger purpose, right? That he was called to be fishers of men. And so he's saying, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of them. We all have regrets. We wish that we could, like God, just remove them from my memory. Maybe on occasion God does that, but more than not, because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we find something better with Jesus to live with and our regrets. We find grace. We find hope. We find redemption. And we find purpose. And in the end of the day, every day, we find that our relationship, our walk with Jesus is enough. One last thing, number four. I need to focus my eyes on Jesus alone as I take steps forward. Let me say that again. Focus my eyes on Jesus alone as I take steps forward. Specifically, steps towards Jesus' purpose for my life. Verse 18, the story goes on. Jesus tells Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this, John tells us, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to Peter, follow me. given the way Jesus died and what Jesus is telling Peter will happen in his future Jesus is clearly saying keep your eyes on me follow me and Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved that was John again was following them this is the one who leaned leaned back at against Jesus at the supper the Lord's supper and said Lord who is going to betray you and when Peter saw him he, he said Lord what about him 
And Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Follow me. This was in the original calling, right? Follow me. Take up your cross. Follow me. This is always what Jesus had been talking about. There's this sense when I'm... I think about it this way. When I'm hiking with my family or I'm hiking with someone and I'm following them, or maybe we're driving somewhere completely separate than hiking, and I'm, I'm, I'm on the highway and I'm following someone somewhere. Do you know where my eyes are? They're on the person I'm following, right? Follow me, Jesus says, which means my eyes can't be anywhere else, and yet that's what we do all the time. In fact, the scriptures record three times when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. Luke 5, in his original calling, there was this sense that, that, that Peter was called by Jesus. And, and Peter said, you might remember this, Luke 5, he said, Go away from me. I am a sinful man. Peter took his eyes off Jesus in that calling and they put him on himself. Matthew 14, the time when Peter walked on the water. You might remember, he, he was, Jesus, tell me to come to you on the water. And, and, and he did, and he stepped out and he began to walk on the water. He couldn't believe it, but he saw the wind. He, he, saw, the, he saw the stuff, the, the things that were threatening him, and he began to sink. He put his eyes on his fears and the circumstances. And here, John 21, Peter is being told by Jesus that he is going to die in a similar manner that Jesus did. And, and Peter goes, well, but what about John? And Jesus says, what is that to you? What is that to you? Witty, W-I-T-T-Y. What is that to you? Follow me. Sometimes we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them on someone else. Which just gives me the three ways we often... I like This is a whole other sermon. I think we could... Well, I probably will preach this as a sermon sometime. That, that, that there are these three ways we take our eyes off of Jesus. We focus on ourselves and we get obsessed with ourselves. And Jesus' call is to follow Him. We take our eyes off Jesus and we put Him on our fears. And our experiences. And our circumstances. And our anxieties. And the call of Jesus is to follow me, keep our eyes on him. We focus sometimes, we take our eyes off Jesus and we put them on other people. We get distracted with all of the comparisons that we make. This is a lifetime learning process of shifting our focus back to Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest blessings in the Christian life is that Jesus deserves our worship. In fact, when I gather with you on Sundays, that's what I'm doing. I'm shifting my eyes from me, from you, to Jesus. And I know you would just say, like, well, yeah, no duh. But I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus alone deserves to be our obsession in life. Jesus alone can handle having eyes focused on Him like that. When I focus on myself, frankly, it's a weight that I cannot handle. And when I'm focused on my past or my pains or my regrets 
or my failures or my shortcomings or my plans that didn't happen or my lack of success or other people or any of those other things. What I'm obsessing over is me. I'm worshiping me. And that's a weight and a responsibility that I was not built for and I cannot handle. And it's a weight that is crushing. And one of the greatest blessings of the Christian life is worship where we take our focus off ourselves and we keep it there on Jesus, not just on Sundays when we gather together, but day in and day out living our lives. Instead of treasuring our precious pains and regrets, we learn to treasure Jesus. And instead of obsessing about the things we didn't do that went wrong or the things we wished we did that we didn't, those other obsessions that crush my life, worship allows me to take my eyes off of them, of those things, and keep my eyes on Jesus to take the next step of moving forward. Regret points me to my past failures and Jesus propels me to future hope. Around here at Harvest, we always end our services with two prayers. And I hope that you would join me in these prayers. One is a prayer of salvation The other is a prayer of application. If you need Jesus today, if you need his forgiveness today, if you need what that cross is about today, you need that in your life. Would you pray this prayer of salvation with me? Dear Jesus, I know I fall short and I confess that I sin often. (laughs) And so Jesus, I take my eyes off me and I put them on you. And I hear your call to follow you. So I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that it's possible to follow you because you're alive. So Jesus, take over my life and be my God and help me to follow you every single day. Help me to follow you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. If that's you, and you prayed to follow Jesus for the very first time, man, I'd love for you to tell someone. You can tell us on a communication card. Although I'll be out for a bit, you can email me or the rest of the staff. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at HarvestChurchEugene.com. You can always email admin, A-D-M-I-N, at HarvestChurchEugene.com, or Julie or one of our other staff members, Rachel as well. We would love, love, love to know that you've chosen to become a follower of Jesus Christ. We'd love to celebrate that. Again, even if you're online, we'd love to know. Please, please, let us know, let someone know. Those of us that have prayed like that, maybe prayed that or a similar prayer a number of years or even decades ago, still need this message applied to our lives. So would you pray, maybe even join me in praying out loud this prayer of discipleship, this prayer of application. Dear Jesus, I'm confessing that I also have a lot of regrets that I don't know how to let go of. And so I'm running to you. And I thank you that you won't give up on me and that you won't let me give up on you. 
And I ask you to help me explore with real honesty with myself. Help me to process why this is. And thank you that you have forgiven me. And because that's enough, help me to forgive myself and others. Jesus, give me the strength to keep my eyes on you. And the strength to let go of what I can't do anything about. Again, thank you that you did. That you died. That you're alive. That you rose again. That you called me to follow you. So Jesus, help me to keep my eyes on you. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I just wanted to say thank you again for being here today. I love you guys. I can't wait till I'm back uh, with you again in person. Again, I'll be preaching uh, via video uh, for Mother's Day. I hope you'll bring some with you for Mother's Day. I, uh, I can't wait um, not only to be back with you in person, but I can't wait for next Sunday where we celebrate Mother's Day together. I love you all.